Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 283 of the Speaking Club podcast. I want to start this show with a quote from Canadian philosopher, entrepreneur and author Matshona Dilwayo. Breaking from the herd is better than getting lost in it. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey, how are you? Gosh, this is an interesting year so far, isn't it? It seems to be going at the speed of light. And there are a lot of doomsayers out there. But you know what? Regardless of them, I think it feels like it could be a good one. Although I suppose it's a bit like that Henry Ford quote, really. I think he said, whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. So I guess that's whether you believe it will be a great year or a bad year, you're right. What are you going to make of it? I read an article in the newspaper today about nine music festivals in the UK that have cancelled their plans for the year because of rising costs. And people are up in arms about it and calling for urgent government intervention. But in the same article, there was a story about a few festivals that are thriving instead of folding. And one of the founders of one of those festivals that's thriving said this, if you're just trying to do what everyone else is, down the road, you're not going to survive. If you don't have a unique vision or a selling point, I just don't see how you're going to make a go of it. And not too long ago, I heard one of the gurus in my space say that one of the big factors in his success is that when everyone else zigs, he zags. And you can see a lot of zigging going on all around you. Uh, There are suddenly lots of neurodiversity experts and speakers or AI experts and speakers because that's what's hot. And those people are chasing the trend. But what if you don't do that? What if you go your own way and stay true to who you are and who you want to help? I also read another quote from Tim Ferriss, which kind of speaks to this. And he said, The fishing is best where the fewest go. And the collective insecurity of the world makes it easy for people to hit home runs while everyone is aiming for base hits. And that point brings me to the path that my guest Becky Benfield-Humberstone has chosen right from the get-go. A born entrepreneur, Becky left school at 16 to start her own super, super niched business. It's called Utterly Horses and it became the largest model horse stockist. Yeah, no, model horse, I did say model horse stockist in Europe with a product range of over 2,500 items that retail to a customer base of over 50,000 people and corporate clients as well. And after successfully exiting that business in 2018, Becky D. 
decided she wanted a new challenge. And that's when she created Brand Artisan. And in that business, which she runs very differently to a lot of others in her space, she's been helping business owners bring their visions to life, helping them stand out from that crowd and exponentially grow. And she's joining me here to talk about all things branding, storytelling and marketing. And I know that you're going to pick up some golden nuggets from her. Right. Without further ado, let's hop over to the interview. Welcome to the Speaking Club, Becky Benfield-Humberstone. Good morning, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me on. It's lovely to be here. It's a pleasure. It's great to start the new year with your uh, sunny energy. That's (laughs) that's really good. Well, the sun is shining outside. It's it's cold, but it's shining, which is good. So, yes. Exactly. It's beautiful uh, weather. I'll take sunshine and cold over rain and wind any time. (laughs) I don't know about you. Uh, It's funny, actually. when it's uh, sunny, the, the drawer I wanted to be outside is quite high. So I kind of do like those rainy days because it sort of uh, forces you to actually sort of stay in and do those jobs. You know, those lists, the, the tasks on the list. So, yeah, swings and roundabouts, a bit of both. So yeah. Better for productivity, <laughs> not so good for the soul. Yeah, No, no, that's true. Sunny <laughs> days are good for that. But sunny days, you know, you can go out walking and brainstorm for creativity. It's, it's great. So you kind of need a mix of both. So sunshine and, and you know, showers. Gets, gets everything done, really. Got the best of both worlds. <laughs> Absolutely. Right, we've got lots to talk about, but I wanted to start with why you decided to leave school at 16 to start a business. I would have thought that's what everybody wants to do, no? <laughs> um, okay, so when I was younger, I used to collect models of horses. Unusual hobby, but that was mine at the time. So during my sort of teenage years, I used to trade um, models of horses um, with collectors in other countries, so like America and Europe. And so I used to trade them on like eBay and places like that. So really early on, I was sort of, you know, buying things to resell. And that's where it's sort of that spark, I think, came from. So at 16, it kind of evolved further. So I actually left to set up a, a business, actually then selling models of horses. Um, so that's where that sort of gem of the uh, sort of the idea sort of uh, started back back in those sort of days. Oh my god, that is pretty niche. You know, we talk about <laughs> niching down. It, this is I'm really t- niche, niche. Like the <laughs> you know, there's niche, and then there's like really, really niche. My this is a really, really niche. But um, and so what? So yeah, sixteen. I left. Um, started the business which is known as um, utterly horses so we were a model horse retailer we became the biggest uh, in europe over a few years sort of probably retailing about two and a half thousand items roughly so all to do with models of horses you know did little ones full-size ones and everything in between so and we used to sort of go around the world to all these different sort of model horse i suppose you can now you're calling like almost conventions you know like you have comic book for conventions you have ones for for model horses as well and so we used to go all around the world, sort of, you know, taking models with us to sell or meeting collectors. And then even got so far, we actually then ended up hosting our own three day sort of festival where we brought collectors together um, to Newmarket, obviously where the home, you know, the home where all the racehorses live. Um, and it was quite so the three day event we put on and people used to fly over from the States and from Germany to come and visit. And yes, it was a, a whirlwind time. Wow. <laughs> This is amazing to me because I think one of the things that I have come to the conclusion about is that when young people start businesses, mm-hmm. there is a, a blessing to to naivety. Oh, yes. Uh, in terms of like not knowing 
what you can and can't do and just sort of going for it. So were you at all daunted at 16 in terms of like starting this up? And and how did you, because there's some big things you did there, you know, that's, you know, a few sentences to cover all sorts of things, like getting things made, you know, I, tell me where, you know, what your thought process was and how you approached it. Yeah, I mean, so back then, I do remember, because in the early days, that was a day in the sort of the era where uh, at 16, you couldn't necessarily have a, a bank account. So, I mean, whereas now, obviously, it's changed. But that back then, I mean, bear in mind, this was an era that was, you know, the internet was still very infancy. You know, everything was still like mail order. You know, you used to send off the stuff and then wait a month for it to arrive, you know, that sort of thing. So it was, you know, a different sort of time and, and thing of how we you know, sort of set it up. Um, I mean, luckily, obviously... I, my background also is my my parents had their own business as well um so in a funny way being brought up in that sort of environment I think it just becomes sort of their second nature you know it's um and as you say where you know that naivety back then uh you know why not um it's something actually probably you know think about it it still carries on today even now I sort of say well you know why not let's give it a go no idea is a bad one it's always a workable option somewhere just trying to find how how to make it work really Oh, that's great. And and but did you ever was there any a, a point in time where you thought, you know, can I do this? Or was it just always like, I'm gonna go for it? I think it was always a, I'm gonna go for it. It was all that was always the thing, you know, you had an idea and that's it, you're gonna do it. You know, there was never an a no, you can't do it. It was always, well, we're gonna do it, we'll find a way to make it happen. Like I said, for like even hosting like the model horse festival we put on so we called it the um the, it was called the athlete horses hullabaloo so it was like a <laughs> and it was literally so it's three days event and we just decided you know it was an idea and I said well let's just do it then you know and we bought you know we we had workshops we had like classes we had live horses there demonstrations you know we had people coming in to speak we had um one year we had like an olympian um eventer um, lady came and and she did a, a talk as well and that's what I'm saying you know it, this sort of thing seems complex but I suppose to me it's just quite a natural sort of thing really you know to, to bring it I'm a planner so I, I love sort of planning things and bringing it all together and making figuring out how to sort of problem solve to get it to work so for me it's quite a sort of a natural sort of thing just to want to do it all <laughs> one of the things that I'm curious about I know we're mm. sort of dwelling on this but mm. I'm just like putting myself in my audience's shoes and I'd yeah. be curious about this <laughs> um so a lot there's a you know I encourage my clients mm-hmm. when we talk about new products and stuff to yeah. to do the monetize before you make it uh-huh. you know don't you know test the market don't plan to the nth degree yeah. and get it all done if you don't even know there's desire demand for it mm-hmm. Back then, were you tr- using that model or were you, you know, how did you approach that? I'm just yeah. curious. Like, for no, the no, it's fine. Thing. No, it's fine. So back, so the first business was Utterly Horses. So we were a retailer of models. So we were retailing other people's brands of, of products. Yeah. So that was much easier. Obviously, there was, you know, we buy it in. Um, we knew the market really well. So we knew what to buy. We were actually advising the manufacturers many times on what to produce. Um, so we were sort of get into almost produce our own range but not actually having to outlay obviously the the manufacturing cost however down the line um that actually evolved we actually then became a manufacturer ourselves so we did have our own range of models um if anybody's watching the video because there's a few behind me um so we did actually then we were manufacturing we had a um, factory out in china so big production runs um and again to do that yes we were obviously planning 
more in advance. Um, and for that, we even to get off the ground, we crowdfunded that. So we actually then did raise the the, uh, the money that way to actually get um, it started. Cool. But obviously, because we we managed to do that because we had all the research, obviously from years of selling other people's products, knowing what worked, what didn't work, you know, what the market was was wanting, but the, the that they didn't have, and that's where that's where the sort of the evolution came in. You know, we were making models of British breeds of horses which didn't exist, which which is what we we filled that gap in that market. Oh, and that's what that's cool. where it came across. So yeah, so it evolved over time, but yes, um, we we did that for, well from from utterly to the copper fox which was the manufacturing arm it was about 20 years span all the way through wow and what about the festival was that the same did you did you plan it or did you sell that first and see uh so with the festival i mean we we did uh we sold you know we were retailing for many many years and there was a we used to go to other sort of festivals you know conventions in other countries but there was never anything in the uk so hence again we said well nobody else is going to do it we'll do it then and that's obviously where it came in so by that sort of point you know we have a bit of a very big database of customers and you know we know a lot about what they want what they didn't want and that's obviously that sort of research then and, and labeled us to put it together um, fantastic to so I love that I love that <laughs> that you got all of that experience yeah. you know at such a young age and so you sold that business but yeah, so Copperbox uh, actually got sold, actually. Yeah, so it's still going. Um, it's actually in the States now. So um, somebody in the States has got it. So it's still going, but just under different owners. So yeah. And then you decided to pivot. Like, <laughs> I've done that. Done that now. Yes. Um, What was the problem you decided to solve mm-hmm. when you set up your next business? Uh, so the next business is the one that I'm currently in. Uh, so it's called the, the Brand Artisan. So I specialize in... So it's branding, marketing and copywriting. So it's sort of three big pillars in one sort of uh, service, I suppose the easiest way to put it. And I decided to do that is because I was, so I started back in lockdown as a, like a VA. And then it, then I sort of started doing things and then it sort of, you know, the projects got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you start to realise, oh, there is a gap in the market, and which is what uh, obviously the brand us in is today. But what it is, it came out of working with clients um, they just there was no cohesion with their projects so they'd be asking me for example to write some website copy but they wouldn't actually really know what the copy was for or who was going to be reading it or what the sort of tone was so I was starting to work on these sort of projects with sort of half the pieces and hence that's why I wanted to sort of try and help people to actually uh, get the full picture um, before sort of diving in. Oh and so I, this is something that people I still think are unsure about. Mm-hmm. Um, this whole question of branding. So you're the brand artisan. Mm-hmm. What, in your opinion, how would you define it? The difference between brand strategy and marketing strategy. Okay, so your brand strategy is basically your foundation to your brand. So it, it answers sort of who it's for, how you solve the problem. You know, what's the problem? and how you bring that all together so basically it's it's the foundation to your brand basically whereas the marketing strategy is how you get that brand how how you do everything out to actually your audience so they, they're very closely sort of entwined um but there is a slight separation you need the brand strategy first before you can do the marketing if you try and do the marketing without the brand that's where you kind of go wrong because it's you could just spend loads of time going round and round in circles 
you know thinking that's what you need or those are the clients you think you should be sort of serving but actually they're not if you do the branding first yes that gives you all the answers so i have sort of the saying so a brand is almost the foundation on which it, which it's built it's also the fuel so it's it, it, it powers the brand you know if you it tells you where you're going and also it's the feeling so it, it, it's it's how you get that that all across to your audience as well so if you had to so it you know the word brand obviously mm. came from cackle years ago mm-hmm. didn't i think that that's the origin of it mm. you know you 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 could identify mm-hmm. which cattle belong to which rancher yes. because of the brand correct in today's world, how would you define the word brand in this context? I think it's it's still, I think if you strip it all the way back, it's very, very similar. It's how you separate everybody from everybody else. I think I always like to say for some people, you know, you can never have a, a brand like Coca-Cola, for example, because that is their brand. Nobody can ever, everybody else can actually make another drink, but nobody can actually ever be the same because it's a, it's it, their brand is different. It's like it's just like everybody else is as as humans are all unique and individual. We all have our own unique personal brand. So it's how what separates everybody. It's what makes everybody almost unique, you know, like a fingerprint almost. And if a keynote speaker came to you and said, Becky, you know, do I need a brand? What would you say and why? Um, the thing is, everybody has a brand, whether they like it or not. Um, <laughs> there's, everybody has a personal brand, even just just by being here really you know for example with the clothes you wear you know what your values are you know what you want to do in life if you actually strip that back and relate it to the branding foundation that is brand for example you know when I work on a brand a brand you know mission or a vision statement is where you're going and how you're going to get there if you relate that to a personal brand it's about your goals and aspirations and what you want to be you see so they're very very it is a brand you know how would you define your brand my personal one or my business one? <laughs> oh, that's interesting isn't it yeah. so so how do you make the distinction between the two well it, that's what i'm saying they each are slightly different um so obviously for my some for the brand decision business brand it is about you know helping clients understand their brand and making it sort of stand you know stand out whereas obviously personal brand it, it's slightly different because i have sort of other goals and aspirations you know, more writing projects and other other things on the back burner. But again, they are slightly, slightly different. Yeah, it's an interesting one when you sort of break it down backwards, when you look at each component, how you can relate it to to different things. Yeah, it's interesting. Excellent. Okay. And so what would you say are the big mistakes that you see people making that stop them from getting the results that they want in business? From your perspective, yeah, no, definitely. I think it, it's an honest mistake if that makes sense. I think a lot of people skip the branding. They sort of think, okay, I've got my logo, I've got my colours, I've got my name. That's it. All I need. That's it. I'm done. You know, off we go. Uh, which I think that's sometimes where the problems kind of start because if you take the time to really sort of you know sit with the brand and and think about what you really want it to do. I think that is invaluable because that it gives you the sort of the direction and the power to take you where you want to go. So, for example, if you don't know, you know, what the, the goals are for the business, you know, you could set off on the wrong direction. If you don't know your your clients or the audience that you, you really want to work with, you could end up working with the wrong ones. Um, you know, or if you think that you should offer every single service, 
Um, whereas actually you should just be doing one, you know, the, the time and the brain, you know, brain power in doing that, you know, could all be sorted if you just sort of slow down and just did the brand just to start with. Do you end up having some tussles with clients? How, how think, is that? How does that sort of discussion go? Because people, because I know I get people come to me. I had someone come to me the other day and say, mm-hmm. I've got these three potential audiences that I want to mm-hmm. do a talk for. And I'm okay. like, that you know, she said, can I put these all together in one talk? And I'm like, mm. not really, no, because <laughs> if you don't, if you don't have a specific audience for a talk, mm. you're not going to connect with them deeply enough. Mm. You know, you're not going to, it's not going to be as powerful or impactful mm. as if you, as if you focus on, you know, you can adapt a talk, but you can't have one talk, you know, catching everyone that you want to speak to. Does, do you have those same issues come up? I do, yeah, no, I do. I, but this way, it's lots of, lots of conversations and lots of thought-provoking questions. It's interesting, you know, when you sort of sit down and have to sort of, you ask the questions that they've probably never asked. So it usually can be quite insightful and it does sort of bring up a lot of questions that you have to answer in, in a good way. You know, it's quite thought-provoking, I think. Um, I mean, I find it fascinating because it's it, it does make you sort of delve deep into really pinpointing and understanding what you really want to do you know it's stripping away all those excess to really get down into sort of the heart of of what's important and, and what matters so yeah so I'd like to answer your question about your your client's question about the different audiences yes <laughs> I have the same conversations <laughs> um and it's like no what one per you know one person you know just try and focus on one you know if you talk to that one person you know, you, you'll usually find you'll attract the other ones just by default. But if you just talk to that one, that's that's the best sort of uh, the strategy to go with. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm writing a, a a book at the moment, and one of the questions I'm I'm in the pro- sort of proposal bit, and mm. I'm sort of having uh, some help with that. Mm. And one of the questions is, what's your primary market for mm-hmm. the book? Ah. And then what's the secondary market? And it's a similar thing here. Yeah. Like you've got that, you can't focus on the secondary before you've you know, you've tackled the primary and the secondary normally comes, like you say, mm. as a result of the the great work that you do with the primary market. It's like so, a bullseye, you know, like on a, on a dartboard, you know, if you concentrate on that middle bit, yeah, all the segments around it will just naturally sort of attract like a <laughs> magnet almost. Yeah. Um, and, and, and what about you? Who's your target? Like, who's your primary market? A good question, actually. Um, so mine actually... For my sort of my one-on-one service, it is it's um, entrepreneurs that do have that big sort of vision, but have probably had two or three other businesses beforehand, and they've now sort of realised that you know they want somebody on that journey with them to help them create what they're they're after really, um, so that they're quite clear on what they want. It's just they need somebody to help deliver that, and you know almost like a, a somebody to sort of bounce off ideas off of and 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 to sort of use that as a, a sort of sounding board along the way. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I noticed is that a lot of people come out of the corporate world and there's Mm -hmm. been a bit of an exodus and they're like, I want to start a business. Mm -hmm. But they don't like that's as far as it's sort of, you know, some people might have a bigger mission and, you Mm -hmm. know, a passion and a purpose. But often it's like, I just want to be free of the corporate world. I want to start a business. This is kind of what I'm good at. Mm. But without doing that underpinning work. 
they can be spinning their wheels. It takes so much longer to find it, you know, and, and what happens, and I don't know if you've seen this as well, is that a lot of people will come out, do a website mm-hmm. and then spend, you know, spend their redundancy money or whatever it is on yeah. this all singing or dancing website that doesn't, you know, that actually won't serve them in the medium to longer yes. term because everything changes unless you get that clarity up front. It is, or I think it's accepting that you've you've just almost got to give one thing a go and see what happens, and yeah. then accept that it will probably evolve, it'll probably change. You know, it is. It's been, I think, especially if you're coming out of that environment into a, a totally different sort of way of working, it does. It, it's not going to instantly click if that makes sense. You've got to be accept. You know, it's you, you've got to try things, see what works. You know, or or as you say, bounce it off ideas, ask friends, ask people. You know, see, see what they think. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. And where do stories fit into your framework? Oh, it's very important, I think. Everybody love, loves the story. I mean, we're all brought up with stories, you see. So it's how we learn about the world and how the people around us. So stories are a very important part. And uh, you know what a lot of people say to me, well, I don't have any stories. Well, no, everybody has stories, you know, even from little things. So I, when I sort of brand something, we do sort of then pinpoint key sort of stories to always talk about whether it's you know the way they sort of make things or their approach to things for example or it could be sort of telling it through like a sort of more of a story way I always think like the um, you know like the Christmas adverts you know like they're my favorite they are a great example of brand stories you know how they sort of use that as a vehicle to deliver you know or show some side to their brand like their values or or a key sort of piece of what they offer absolutely and um I was just thinking as as you was mentioning that, that, that the whole branding thing and the stories thing, mm-hmm. I, I mean, politics is, you know, is, is mm-hmm. not, not what it was, um, but political parties have a manifesto. Right. And in some ways the branding, you know, they have a manifesto and then they'll have stories yep. around each point in the manifesto, either things that they've done in the past that, you mm-hmm. know, the party's done, things that they want to do in the future and have story examples. And that's really similar to what branding is for a business, isn't it? Oh, it is. I mean, if you think about, so that, I mean, even everybody has it, don't you? You know, it's about how you got started, you know, what was your inspiration, for example, what have you done in the past, where are you going, your client stories, the case studies, you know, these are all little snippets of stories that that can be told, and I think always need to be told, and sometimes people don't think, I think also that there is sometimes this perspective that, oh, it's not really a story, you know, nobody does want, nobody wants to know about that, but it, it, everything can be a story, it's just how you tell it, and and how you sort of put it together, I think that's that's something to remember. Yeah. And one of the things that I always say when people say that to me is like, Mm. you've only got to look at cinema. You know, we had the story of Facebook, Mm -hmm. the story of McDonald's, the story of Apple, you know, the Mm -hmm. the Napoleon, like it's, if we're interested Mm. in the story behind the business, Mm -hmm. and I think people underestimate the power that those stories have to connect with people and how curious people are Mm. about the why behind the thing you know it's it's a massive pull for people to come into your world to share that stuff I was was thinking about this the other day you know if you think of like an Instagram reel for example that's a mini story you know even if it's seven seconds ten seconds if you look at actually how the some of them are made you know there is a an arc that you can actually see Mm. um so 
there are actually stories all around us. It's just, you know, realizing and, and sort of utilizing that in a, in a way. Yeah. And I think that's an important point, again, that I make to my clients is mm. that really in business, it's not about creating or imagination. It's about finding, mm. you know, you know, you're looking for stories that fit, Yes, you know, either your customer desires or your customer pain or, mm-hmm. you know, your values, all that sort of stuff. Mm. So it's finding them rather than necessarily creating them. And I think that's an important distinction to make between, you know, writing for fiction and writing for business. <laughs> yeah. No, it's. It, I think you, you, you're right, 100%. It's more about uncovering those stories um, and sort of, uh, it's like almost like you dig them out of the ground and put them in the light in a funny yeah. way, you know, as a visual sort of, you know, literally digging through. Um, it is about that. And also it, then they are more authentic, you know, if they are mm. true and they are coming from inside, it's a much better story than it, if it's ever made up sort of thing. Yeah. So. And that brings us full circle back to what you said at the beginning, which is like your branding is unique to you. Correct. Just as your stories are unique to you because they are mostly your lived experience that no one can replicate. No. Which is why think, it's so important to share them. Yes. And that, and that's also, you know, when like where you um people sort of say, oh, I can't start that business because somebody has already done it, or I can't do that because, you know, somebody else has already taken my idea. Yes, but they're not going to do it in the same way you're going to do it, you see. So that's where the branding comes into it. That's what separates the two, you know. If you think about how many coffee shops are on the high street, you know, mm-hmm. they're all selling the same products. They're all selling coffee, but it's the, you know, it's about the brand that separates each of them. It's why you walk in their door or, or you don't go in that one. It, it, that's what's the, that's what it's almost that is what it is in action, isn't it? You know, that's what yeah. it is. That's funny because there's a word that we'd use in like, in relation to something like that, which is that the ambience, mm-hmm. that feeling that you get when you walk into a space, mm-hmm. whether you want to stay or not. And essentially, when you're creating a brand, there's that mm-hmm. you're creating an ambience. Yeah, around... it all comes back to that. Yeah, it all everything's literally like brand is, is the seed from which everything grows. If you yeah. if you haven't got that that starting point right, everything else goes a bit awry. So that's why I know. It, like a broken record but it is literally just spend the time on the branding and everything else will flow beautifully but if it's just about that starting point because you should say like if you create for example a coffee shop with the wrong branding you know it affects everything as you say if you walk into that that space and it doesn't feel right it, it makes a huge amount of difference to to your yeah. audience whether you go back or not that's exactly the, that's the thing yeah and it's like you know the way they serve their coffee you know if they don't serve if the team aren't happy because of something like that they customers won't come back you know it's yeah. an, the knock, I think it's like a almost like it's a little butterfly effect you know the knock-on effect can be quite um, big down the line absolutely cool um now the other thing that was curious about yeah. which you you're a little bit different to you other branding people agencies that I've (laughs) encountered before and that you only work with one client at a time Mm -hmm. was that a deliberate decision from the start or one that you evolved into Uh, it has been an evolution if I'm honest and it's come more because I've understood that you know to because I am take I take on big projects so for example somebody comes to me and says look I want to start a new brand from scratch and but I'd like a full website and full marketing sort of sweet and to do that you almost have to become part of the business you know you have to immerse yourself in you know literally you know un- getting under the skin of it and that does take a lot of sort of brain power and sort of <laughs> you know to get into that state 
Um, and that's why I only work, tend to now work one-on-one on, one on one. because once you're in that sort of headspace, it's easy to stay into that rather than coming out, jumping onto a different one and then, and then coming back in again. So I also find it, it gets a better quality of project almost. Uh, and it also means that I can sometimes do it a little bit faster, especially with the deadline and things like that. Yeah, excellent. And um, so let's say someone hasn't done anything on their brand Mm -hmm. they've sort of missed that part what would be the three tips that you would give them Mm -hmm. as to what to do next I think it's just literally just reviewing the brand as it stands at the moment um I think it's it's literally just thinking about you know who are your customers um you know what what do they want from you you know what, what what problem do they have um it's it's who are you you know what's your role in in whatever their the problem is you're trying to solve and what's the sort of difference why are you the one to solve their their issue really it's those sort of questions that will help you understand what makes you different and um what how you help your your clients or your audience solve solve that problem and would you would you suggest if people are already established start mm-hmm. asking people to to share what they feel oh definitely comes yes. across oh it's literally it's, as much information and knowledge as you you can gather the more the merrier um because it's by asking questions that you find the answers and and that's how you move forward really so if you're an established brand and you're sort of you know or if you're a brand that you know you're you're working with the wrong clients for example you know the clients that, that you know are lovely but they're not like your your perfect ones you know it is maybe just reviewing that and thinking okay well what what is it I don't like and why do you think is that happening you know is it and then bring it backwards it's sort of like a breadcrumbs you know following the trail you know thinking okay is my marketing am I saying the right things am I on the right platforms for example am I utilizing things in the right way it's just I think always just reviewing um, the brand and and how that's impacted everybody around you. Yeah, because I think that one of the big issues is that people make assumptions. You know, we we start at this expert level. Mm. We communicate often without getting down to the level of where our audience is. Mm-hmm. And we make assumptions about the way that we're communicating that it will be received in the way we mm. expect it to yes. without necessarily even testing that. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes that miss it's sort of a miscommunication or misunderstanding between you know what you're expecting people will receive versus what you're putting out there mm-hmm. can lead you to getting the wrong customers yes it can do um and that, that usually comes as i said that comes back to a branding thing it's just literally making sure that you're saying it in the right way that connects with your the intended audience so it's it's slightly little tweaks you know that can make the huge difference i think down the line but it all comes back to just just literally just reviewing the branding and making sure it's on point and and where you want it to go really absolutely cool and and so where obviously this is the speaking club where does speaking fit into your business um it's something that i'd love love to explore in the future i have to say (laughs) because obviously branding is such a it's a topic i'm I'm passionate about and love could chat for hours about I think (laughs) and it's just I think what I want to really get across to people is is branding I think branding itself has almost a identity problem because a lot of people associate it with you know big branding agencies you know terminology you don't understand or you need a degree to understand whereas it's not actually it's very simple at the end of the day and that's what I really want to get across to people you know to everybody can brand 
and I'm happy to teach people how to do it. You've just got to take it one step at a time and put all the pieces together. It's as simple as that. Yeah, that that's, I think, a big part of what speaking can do, especially if mm. you're in an, an area where things do get mixed up, mm. you know, getting out there and really clarifying it for people so that they understand mm. and you're, you're sort of casting away all the myths and the myths, yeah. you know, the assumptions that people have. That's it. That's a great thing to, to be able to do. Yeah. In my, in, sorry, in the brand aspect, if you say brand to anybody, they, the, the image that is conjured up is always a massive sort of thing, you know, but it's not actually, it's when you bring it back to, what it actually is it's actually quite simple cool thank you for that now you're also involved in two side projects the founders project and every woman modern muse Mm -hmm. can you tell me a bit more about those and how you came to be involved yeah of course can so um so the founders project is this postcards from a founder uh so it's a kind of art community business project so it's a bit of a combo so basically the premise is that founders share their sort of wisdom basically or inspiration on the back of a postcard and those postcards then get shared on social media and other channels just to help inspire others that are walking the same sort of path and journey as you um it's it's just about you know sometimes in business it is quite lonely you know and you do every day you're sort of wondering oh is it right or you know am i doing it right and it's just i just wanted a way to bring sort of people together and and for everybody to share their little micro stories really on on the back of a postcard so that's where that project comes in oh I loved I when I was looking at this on your website I was like oh that's that's really cool um <laughs> I have to send you some postcards there you are Sarah I'm going to send one <laughs> on, on the way to you <laughs> and and what about the the every woman modern muse what about yeah. that one so the modern muse is, is, is a project I did a few uh, quite a long time ago now but the back then so it must have been I think I'd say it's 2008 so it's quite an older project but the aim at the time was to inspire one million girls um, to actually sort of look at entrepreneurship as a, a career path rather than sort of, I think at the time they said that a lot of kids wanted to be like, um, you know, footballers' wives and those sort of things. So we the aim was for, to, for there was about 100 muses and we went around to schools speaking and, you know, sharing our stories um, to sort of younger people just to, you know, in attempt to, engaging conversation and to show that there is a different option out there um career path wise um luckily though i think obviously now it's slightly different there is a lot more information out there for younger people these days about starting a business um but back then it, there wasn't as much so that's where that sort of project um comes from that's interesting because uh, schools can be quite a tough gig can't they how did you find <laughs> speaking uh, to that lot um yeah no i think some are very open to it, I think. Um, some are, but some aren't, I think. It, it's different ones. But um, I think I went to a school in London um, and it just chatted um, about my weird and wonderful <laughs> career sort of journey, which was great. And a lot of, I do like working with them because they always ask such cool questions. You know, it's all those very honest and sort of, as you say, just innocent questions. And it's great to sort of actually think about them and, and um, actually give an answer. Excellent. Okay, cool. And what what's kept you going during times of doubt? Um, it's it's a, a very thought provoking question actually, and I I think I've just got this endless drive just to always sort of keep going and just wanting to achieve something. I think you know I've always got things on my list to do <laughs> and want to achieve and want to I don't know yeah 
Even I can't actually answer it. I just know it's there. I think that's but it's, the weird but it's thing. interesting as well because, like, we've talked about the work stuff, mm. but there is a whole host of <laughs> other sort of achievements that would surprise people. Tell me and the audience about some of the other stuff that you've done that uh, people might be surprised about. Oh, what, like climbing mountains and things like that? That sort of things? or Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, there's always, there's always, I think I just like a challenge. I think I just like discovering how, whether I can push myself and, and do it. So, so no, I've done some, um, I've climbed a lot of mountains. Um, I've been, uh, what's the other thing? Bobsledding. I've done skeleton sledding as well. I've done a back-to-back marathon in, in the uh, Sahara Desert as well. Um, yeah, skydiving. Anything adventurous. I'm at, the, I'm at the front of the queue so <laughs> and so doing those marathons in the like that for mm. instance mm. like I run mm. like I, how do you keep it's that mental sort of one foot a... in front of the other and yeah. that sort of seems to to span business and your life is that true I, yeah I think there is a very close correlation between the two you know doing doing you know the Sahara Marathon, so it is like walking in on Mars, basically. You know, it's it's hot and it's rocky. And, you know, I was on my own. I was walking on my own a lot of the time. And it is that men- almost a mental, as much as it's a physical challenge, it's more of a mental one, you know, just to literally keep going and and also, you know, motivate yourself just to keep, as you say, that one step in front of the other. Which in business is very similar. With the marathon, your end goal is to get to the end. In business, it's to achieve that goal or that certain that certain level, isn't it? Um, and it's about that mental toughness to actually keep going. You know, to when you when you fall over, to dust yourself off and take a big breath and and carry on. You know, it, 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 there is very very similar between between the two. And and what challenges have you got planned for this year? Yeah. Uh, I think it's wind walking this year and I wanted to do an ultra this year. That was on my radar this year. So an ultra is like, it's a hundred miles. It's a hundred kilometers. I think, I think there's a very, this can be varying distance, but I think the one I'm after is about a hundred kilometers. I think it is, which is. And is that running or walking or mixed Oh, I'm a slow one. I'm a walker. (laughs) Where is that going to be? I don't know. There's a, there's a few on my radar, but I think I kind of like the, there's one, I think on the Thames path, I think at the moment. So I think I might do that one or this one on the South Downs, I think. So there's a few on the, on the radar. It's just trying to coordinate with diaries, I think, just trying to, trying to squeeze it in. That's the bit of fun. But no. I love, I love that. That's brilliant. What's on yours? Have you got any on your running list? I'm going to talk about. Uh, Well, um, I'm going to try Tough Mudder this year, I think. Nice. Okay. So I think I'll be all right on the running I think I need to build my strength up for that. Mm. I do do bouldering, so I climb, mm. but um, I'm vertically challenged. I'm five foot two. So I think getting over some of those obstacles might be tricky. So yeah. uh, so that's what I'm thinking that's what I might do this year. Oh, yeah, enjoy. Yeah, I, I shall do. I, I do like <laughs> to uh, to do those sorts of things. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. So from, let's just, before I go into my sort of uh, standard questions, from your experience, the mm-hmm. the early years, starting up a second business, mm-hmm. you know, making that work, because how long have you been doing Brand Artisan now? Uh, so I bet this is uh, fourth year, fourth or fifth, yeah. What Time flies, you see, I just, you just can't cheat track. <laughs> it does, it does. What so, yeah. wisdom would you share with others that are on this business journey? Oh, 
Oh, that's so much. I mean, the, this the business journey as always, as everybody says, it's always the roller coaster, isn't it? You know, the ups ups and the downs. But to me, that's the fun bit. You know, you never know where you're going to head up. I think the 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 wisdom is just being clear on where you kind of where you want to head. I think you know, just to sort of plot plot you plot your route and then you know take take the journey. And I think also it's just being flexible. You know, being Always say yes to anything and then see what happens and see where it takes you because you just never know which door open or who knows who or where that might that might end up. I think that's always kind of my thing just to say yes and see what happens. Interesting. I love that film. Is it Yes Man? That's yes. A, that's a cool film. That's <laughs> but it's cool kind of film. true, isn't it? Because you just never know, you know, where that yes would be. I was speaking to somebody the other day and they said about networking, you know, um, you know how important it is because even though the person standing in front of you may not be somebody you will work with you don't know who they know and who they you know that who's in their network so if you just say yes to everything or you know within reason but you know yes to just going and experiencing and just seeing what you can take away from that you know I think that's a very valuable sort of thing especially in the entrepreneur sphere of business and and because what I, what I also find is that there's so many transferable skills that you learn from outside of the business arena. For example, like if we go back to the postcard project, the idea for that actually came from Post Secret. I don't know whether you know. So it's a, it's a again, it's a very old, uh, I think it's an art project. It's where people shared their secrets on postcards. Oh. So again, it's an it's a different outside of the, you know, it's a different industry. But again, you just sort of, I've sort of taken it and, and translated it into into this one. So you never know where you're going to find your inspiration. And so by saying yes to everything, you might discover something. Lovely. I love that. That's brilliant. Um, right. Well, thank you for sharing that. Before we wrap up and I point people in the direction of where they can find you and connect with you, um, I've got some standard questions. The first question, I guess it would be interesting to see what your answer is, but what has speaking done for you? I think it's uh, opened opportunities. I think that that is the key, you know, because a lot. I think for a lot of people, speaking is is one of their top sort of not fears, but you know, things that are very uncomfortable. Um, I think I've come to learn that if you're uncomfortable, actually, you're doing the right thing because you are pushing your boundaries. And you know, being comfortable is safe. It's too safe, you know. When you're actually uncomfortable, you know that you're growing and you're trying something different. And you're, you're pushing, you know, pushing further. Um, so speaking for me, even like this, just speaking to you, you know, I am out of my comfort zone. But I know that, you know, you just got to try these things as you never know what happens. You know, so it comes back to that saying yes thing, I think, speaking in, in that term. I love that. I, I, I absolutely I like to try and I would say I like to try and live my life on the edge of my comfort zone because mm -hmm. it's too short mm. to sort of say play safe all the time. And, mm. you know, and I think so. I, I, I love that answer and I, I can relate to that. OK, mm. um, have you ever had like a speaking gig that you'd rather forget that was like, oh, no, that was awful. I just want to put that in the back of my mind <laughs> never think of it again. Oh, I think we've all had those. And we go, oh, what did I go say? Why do they say that? But. You know, I'm I am quite a very positive person, so I take from it that you learn from your failures. You know, what did I hear the other day? Um, you have fail at full speed. So everything you do, you do it to your best of your ability. If if you fail, you still know that you you tried your best. So for example, on a speaking gig that went really wrong, you know, at that time you thought that that was the right way to approach it, and it but it failed. So you just obviously take, you know, 
take the learning from it, move on and try, and try again, really. Absolutely. It's all, about just, it's all about just getting up and trying again. Just try getting and try Back and on try. the horse. Oh, Not the mono horse. There we go. We many can... times. Oh, yes. <laughs> many times I've done that. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, next question. Mm. What's the book that's had most influence on your life and why? Oh, that's a tough one. Gosh, that's a goodie. Uh, I read a lot of books. Um, there's a book, actually, a very old. Um, there's a book called the, what is it called? Is it the One Minute Millionaire? It's an old book. It's a it's an unusual book because it's written. There's two stories in one book. So on one side, you've got a whole story uh, about this lady um, setting up a business, and on the other side, it's more like a, a self help book. But it, it it's a really great way of how you can blend two things together: the learning and the story into into one sort of uh, um, lesson basically so yeah that's a, it's an unusual one I don't know if it's still in print but yeah that's probably one that stuck with me the most I think isn't it yeah unusual. so what did you take away from that one do you remember I, I think it was um because what it was all about if um the, the story was that there was a woman that needed to raise a million dollars I think it was within oh, a certain time time frame I think it was like 60 days or something and so the story her story was about how she did it but at the same time, it's actually teaching you how you can take those same lessons and actually use it. So it's all about mindset and how you sort of, you know, about using your network and how how you basically make that happen. Um, but I just love the way it was put together, you know, where you sort of had the almost the example alongside the actual teachings, which I thought was such an unusual way. I've never, ever seen another book like it. Um, I just thought it was a, a very cool concept. And that's that's really important point mm. to make, actually, for people listening as well. And this is what we try and do when we're speaking and mm. and in writing books, mm. you know, whether they're fiction, nonfiction is show rather than tell. Yes, because people don't take it in if you tell them. Yeah. But if you can get them engaged and let them have the epiphany through a story, mm. then that's that's the way that the, the learning happens, really. Mm. I think also because it was covering, you know, some people, they learn in different ways, you know, some mm. people. Are, and so it was it was almost tapping into that. It was covering both sort of angles, which was unusual. You know, I've never, yeah, there's never seen another one like that. I'm sure there are hopefully a small but like it. But yeah, that one just really, really sticks in my my head. I think it's also produced, I think it was um, around the 2000s, again, 2001. So it was in a, that era when you know the dot cotton bubble was sort of around and that sort yeah. of thing so it, it's slightly older book but it's it's the uh the lessons in it are still still valid excellent cool okay what's the best bit of business advice you've had and why my best bit of business advice is, there is so much out there advice wise it's it's hard to sort of distill it down into just one i think but probably is if, if you've got the passion all right whatever it may be success will follow you know uh uh, success will follow passion in its footsteps basically that's the easiest way to put it you know as long as you're passionate about it success will follow eventually it might take some time but just keep on walking basically keep going until you get there love that cool that's a good one and then last question if you could have one mentor mm-hmm. and they can be alive or dead fictional or non-fictional who would you choose and why oh these are great questions um that's a tough one. Who do you who do you have? Go on and turn it around. Who's who's your one? Um I think I'd probably like to have a chat with Napoleon Hill. Mm. 
uh, he, but there is another, there's a, a lady as well, Elsie, but I, I say Napoleon Hill. Yeah. All but, right. But what about you? I'm going to say, actually, I'm not just I'm time to think about it, Cindy. Um, I say, I want to say Winston Churchill, okay. only because um, he had this ability to almost, what's the term? Uh, activate the English language and send it into battle. Okay. So he was a speaker, an orator that could just literally the way, the word, you know, put words together. Um, and I think I'd just love to be able to understand how to do that, how you sort of, you know, bring everything together to make that happen. Actually, I'm going to change mine. Ooh. I'm going to change it to Shakespeare. Oh, nice one. <laughs> because having said that, because what you said about Churchill made me think about mm. Henry V. Mm-hmm. Was it Henry IV? Anyway, Henry V, I think. And like that, I think you're absolutely right. I think words and stories are so mm. powerful. I think Churchill was a great, uh, a great yeah. uh, guy to be having in your corner. So I think, uh, yeah, just just how you sort of put, you know, when you read some of the speeches of what he's, you know, mm. put together, just the way they've sort of been knitted together, it's just, some, you know, it's kind mm. of poetry when you look at it. It's, um, I, I just, yeah it's fascinating just i'd just love to know what whether there was a process or whether it you know how it how it happened so i don't know just whether he did you think he did it do you think he had a ghost writer a speech writer i think he i think he dictated most of them i think and then yeah i think but i said i don't it would just be if i could just ask that question i think it'd be be quite fun to ask yeah and um, i think that's a really again a really important point for people listening here like with speaking there is two sides of the coin mm-hmm. there's the content Yes. And what you say. Mm. And then the other side is the how you deliver that. Mm. I mean, he did well on both. Mm. Um, but it's you've got to have both sides checked mm. uh, in order for the message to land as powerfully, as impactfully mm. as, as you want it to. So brilliant. Mm. Great stuff. Well, uh, Becky, thank you so much for sharing that. Where can people come and find more about you working with you? maybe getting you to speak uh where's the best place for them to go uh yes so you'll find me um so i mostly hang out so social wise i'm on i'm on linkedin and, and instagram so you'll find me on there or you can um head on over to my website which is so www.thebrandartisan.co.uk so i'm Brilliant. all hiding there so but uh, and you're also on linkedin aren't you i am on linkedin yes yeah, so alone it'd be great to connect and just yeah and also if you'd like a postcard i'll send you a postcard as well and if you want you know happy to help in anything on, on that front so and probably there's no becky other becky benfield humberstone oh gosh no <laughs> definitely not i'm i'm the one with the longest name imaginable so yes you'll find me on there <laughs> brilliant well thanks so much for sharing all of that really fascinating background and yeah you should definitely think about doing more speaking because you've got lots of interesting things to be sharing with people so uh, yeah stuff well no thank you so much sarah for the time yeah taking the time and it was lovely to speak to you and uh, so many thought-provoking questions i'm going to go away and ponder them for the rest of the day i think good excellent well you take care thank you becky is a right dynamo isn't she i got clear on a lot of things about branding based on that interview and i think it comes back to what i was sharing at the start branding seems to be about setting out your stall showing why you're different and sending a signal that will resonate with your true tribe, not copying the latest gimmick, gadgets and language. I hope you got some ahas from this interview too. And if you did, I'd be so grateful if you hop onto LinkedIn and let Becky know. I'm sure she would love it. 
Do also go and check out her website and all her writing stuff too. And if you wanted to get involved in the Founders Project, you can find details over at her website, The Brand Artisan. Before we wrap up, if you are a regular listener of the show, first of all, thank you. And second, if you could spare a couple of minutes to leave an honest rating or review, that would be amazing. And you can do that over at ratethispodcast.com slash TSC or wherever you're listening. I'll catch you next time. But until then, you know what I'm going to say. Don't forget to go out, grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye bye. It's a nightmare. You're an expert with so much to say. But now that you've been booked to speak, you're struggling to know exactly what to talk about. You want a talk that engages the audience and wins you new clients without you losing your personality or anyone feeling pitched to. But what happens when you sit down to create that talk is that you end up staring at a blank page for ages or worse, surrounded by hundreds of sticky notes with content that you could include. With so much material, you just don't know where to start or finish. Don't worry, because many experts like you face exactly the same challenge. And that's why I created the Blank Page to Stage Guide. In just 50 minutes, this breakthrough resource is going to help you identify the big idea of your message, make it relatable for the audience that you're speaking to, and convey it all in a way that gets the audience inspired and on board with your idea. And it works even if you have tons of material or your subject feels less than exciting. If you want to cut through swathes of content and get a talk that you're excited to share, your audience loves and wins you new clients, then grab your blank page to stage guide from saraharcher.co.uk slash new guide hyphen TSC. Oh, I forgot to say, it's completely free. Enjoy. Enjoy.